What is up, people, and thank you so much for checking out this edition of The Uncommitted, Episode 2, a new generation recruiting podcast. I'm your host, EJ Stewart. I'm joined by Kendall. We got a great show for you guys. We got a lot to talk about regarding some transfers, regarding some um, some, some, some recruits and, and some of their decision-making moving forward amidst this, uh, this, this kind of national unrest that we have. And we got a major coaching resignation that should have a lot of ripple effects on the recruiting um, the recruiting world. So we got a lot to talk about. Joining me is my co-host, Kendall Stewart. Kendall, what's up, homie? Yeah, yeah, like you mentioned, a lot of interesting stories have uh, kind of arisen over the last couple of weeks. Um, not only on the recruiting front, but just in society in general, obviously. Uh, you know, we've had a, a massive, massive shift Societally, and that's going to uh, we've seen kind of a, a trickle down effect into college basketball recruiting. Ironically enough, you know, not something that you necessarily expect, but uh, we'll talk about that at the top. But we're also talking about look, I mean, uh, we've seen multiple players uh, leave, you know, the NBA draft, mm-hmm. pull out of the NBA draft, but then also subsequently enter the transfer portal. So that seems to be a new trend uh, yeah. in college basketball. We'll talk about that. Um, and like you said, massive coaching change uh, that will should that should affect the college basketball recruiting landscape uh, tremendously. So we'll uh, we'll discuss that as well. And amidst this uh, these these trying times, I want to give a massive uh, condolences to uh, the families of Brianna Taylor and George Floyd. If you haven't heard our other podcast, we talked a little bit about um, those tragedies and what's kind of happened since. I want to give a massive shout out to all the protesters out there who are, are fighting for that much needed change in our society and I think it's important that you know people watch our channel listen to our podcast know where we stand we stand for justice we stand for um, the fight against racism and oppression and uh, we're riding with these with these protesters trying to get change so shout out to them and I think brings us to our, our top story for today and in regards uh, the 15 year old phenom Mikey Williams who I think um, surprised some people when he put out his tweet initially saying that he was going to be uh, thinking about going to an HBCU for his college. Right now he's a class of 2023 high school player. He's probably the best player in that class uh, by, by, by most accounts, or at least one of the top two or three players in that class. And he says that an HBCU will indeed be on his final list of schools. And I got to say, Kendall, I think uh, his Instagram post, there was a lot of there were a lot of things that he said that I thought rang true. And I was happy that he said it. Number one, he said he's been thinking about this for, for years, which is tells you a lot about kind of where he is as a kid and as a person, considering that um, a 15 year old was already thinking about how his decision on what schools he goes to and whether that be an HBCU, how that could uh have lasting effects on black people in the black community and college basketball as a whole. He said, quote, what a lot of coaches don't understand is that we don't need them. 100% true. Can't see anyone who could deny that. Also, he says, we are the reason that these schools have such big names and such good history. But in the end, what do we get out of it? What a lot of top level athletes don't understand is if you're a pro, then you're a pro. No matter what college you go to, even if you don't go to college, if you're a killer, you're going to kill anywhere. He then also adds, I'm riding for my people. I'm 10 toes down behind the black community. Any way I can help or make a change in the black community, best believe I'm going to do that. 
and he ends it again by saying that uh, HBCUs will be will be part of his final uh, list of schools. So just an all around really thoughtful post. I, I gotta give him a round of applause. Round of applause on that because that was that was that was that was awesome. So that's that's Mikey Williams and and his and what he's thinking about right now. Kendall, what what do you make of it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you said, uh, tremendous, tremendous post on Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of, you know, just being socially conscious uh, and very thoughtful for a guy, you know, as young as he is, to put out a post like that. Uh, it was very impressive. But um, yeah, no. I mean, this idea, the whole idea of, you know, your one and done five star type of player, considering going to the HBCU was. It honestly was first broached last recruiting cycle with uh, Josh Christopher, another Southern California kid, uh, who decided to take an official visit to Howard, uh, Howard University out in Washington, D.C., and that kind of shook up the recruiting landscape quite a bit. Uh, Christopher, you know, gained a lot of good publicity uh, from the from the the from that visit um, and really opened a lot of people's eyes to this being a possibility. You know, not only Josh Christopher, but McCure Maker, which I don't know what to deal with McCure Maker because he hasn't <laughs> he still hasn't decided to say what he's going to do. I don't, I don't expect him to play college basketball, but we don't know. But um, another kid also took a visit to Howard. So, yeah, no, I mean, this this is something uh, we talked about when Josh Christopher uh, took a visit to Howard, and now Mikey Williams is kind of opening people's eyes to this being even more of a possibility. Um, and look, I mean, I, I totally agree with the, the, the notion that if someone like Josh Christopher would have went to Howard or if someone like Mikey Williams or someone like Jalen Green or, or Cade Cunningham or any of the top two, three, top 10 players in the country went to an HBCU, they'd still be a lottery pick. They'd still be a top 10 pick. Um, it wouldn't affect them that much as honestly, they probably look better because the competition is not going to be as tough. So while there would be question marks about who they're playing against, the, statistically, they would be outrageous. So in that regard, like, I 100% uh, feel like, yeah, you could do, you could make this move and you'd be fine. It's no different than guys, you know, deciding I'm going to go to a smaller school or a guy saying I'm just not going to, you know, I'm going to go to the G League or I'm going to go overseas. Like, it's a different route. It's not conventional, but... Uh, at the end of the day, the top guys tend to be the top guys anyway. Um, so, I mean, I look, do I think Mikey Williams has a point on that regard? 100%. Um, do I expect, uh, a lot of people said, look, is Mikey Williams going to play college basketball? You know, by the time we get to 2023, will that rule be changed? You know, for a while, it looked like there was no chance, you know, that of course he was going to go straight to the pros. But there's been a lot of recent momentum over the last couple of months that, that one and done rule may not be gone anytime soon. So if that's the case and a guy like Imani Bates has to go to college or the G league or Mikey Williams has to go to college or the G league, you know, like we talked, we've talked about the G league quite a bit and we don't know if it's for everybody. And so he may have to play college basketball. And if he wants to go to HBCU, I think it's certainly an option. I wouldn't expect it personally. I mean, you know, he's gotten, 10 plus offers from HBCUs over the last week. So <laughs> certainly they think that it's a possibility. <laughs> I don't blame them for trying, you know, and you know, a lot of, certainly a lot of uh, HBCU alums have put out their pitches 
on social media about why you should go to Norfolk, Norfolk State over, you know, Texas Southern or uh, why you should go to Alabama State. Mo Williams just became the coach at Alabama State. Shout out to Mo Williams over, you know, Alcorn State. Um, you know, personally, I look, I think Howard certainly has already shown that they had the infrastructure to potentially go out and recruit someone like Josh Christopher. Uh, and NC Central uh, with Lavelle Moten, uh, who's very outspoken this week about college basketball coaches having to step up, um, is another guy who he was, he's been recruiting Bronny uh, already, you know, before all this. He's recruiting Bronny, he's recruiting Zaire Wade. So those are two schools that I think would be equipped to maybe recruit a guy like Mikey Williams. But it may not even have to be a Mikey Williams. I think we'll see more of an impact because someone like Mikey Williams said this. You may get a four-star that says, maybe I can't go to Duke or Kentucky, but why go to Georgia Tech when I can go to, you know, uh, like I said, Alcorn State, or I can go to Prairie View. So I, I think it's a conversation needs to be had. I don't know if it'll happen at the highest levels of college basketball right? in terms of recruiting, but this will have an impact. Yeah, I think I think it definitely will. Um, but I still feel like for it to really well first of all i do feel i know you're saying you're not sure what the end result will be i kind of i am kind of worried for mikey only because i feel like if he decides to then go to kentucky or whatever i think there will be you know we're in a society where we always want to try to point out any kind of hypocrisy or any kind of you know flip-flopping like it's just the way we are um right. everybody everybody wants to call everybody a hypocrite so i think yeah. if he and doesn't we have archives now of everyone's opinions Right. So I think that some people will feel like, you know, if he doesn't, there are going to be people who are going to take that opportunity and say, oh, remember when you were talking about HBCUs in the black community? You know, and that's unfortunate because the kid's 15. Like, I think he, he absolutely deserves the right to change his mind. I think the fact that he's even thinking in this manner at this point in his life is impressive, as I've said already. So that concerns me a little bit. Um, I, I do feel like, does it change the landscape that he's considering? It, it does a little bit. But I, I think that for this to have a dramatic change, I think it's going to take kind of a class. Not I don't want to say similar because like what we saw at Duke with Zion and Cam and RJ was unprecedented pretty much. But I think it's going to take a class like, like that. It's going to take two or three kids teaming up and saying, yo, we're going to North Fork State this, uh, this season. Or, yo, we're going to Howard this season. Like, I think if we get that kind of grouping and again it doesn't have to be the top three of the top four players in the class like a duke had but if you can get three of the top 20 three of the top 25 and they become because i think it was a problem I, I see and the reason why i feel like you and maybe myself are also skeptical wasn't that this will pull through it's just the idea that the schools like the talent level at these schools is just so low and the funding and the money that goes into these schools is just so low that it's like while yes, Mikey's one hundred percent right, he can go to Howard and he would destroy everybody in you know the MEAC, and he'd probably in the one NCAA tournament game they play, he'll probably have thirty. And okay, Jamal. yeah, exactly. And they lose in the first round, probably maybe they win a round, but uh, but you know he would still be a top pick. But I think the problem would be, you know, what would have happened and how much more could he have gained had he been with better talent. I think to kind of mitigate that concern and the idea that we don't have the money and the funds to kind of support these elite athletes, if you get a bunch of kids to go to one school, well, now whoever sponsors that school, Nike, Adidas, you know, they now they could say, oh, well, let's uh, shift some of these funds that we've been given to NC State and we've been getting nothing out of it. 
let's shift that money maybe to Howard now, you know? Yeah. And and then, and then maybe that helps. Um, maybe not in that one year in terms of the, the, the facilities and stuff. Maybe the next season, Howard then has the facilities and the infrastructure to go after more recruits. I, yeah. I, I think the problem we have right now is we're waiting for one savior. And, like, I, I don't kind of – I envy that position for Mikey. Like, or I not envy it, but rather I, I don't I don't envy it uh, if, you know, that becomes kind of his thing. But if he does, if he decides, yo, I don't care, I'm going by myself, I'm just going to play with whoever's on the squad – I'm average thirty. I'm gonna be no one picking the draft, man. He's a legend. If he does, he's, he's an absolute legend. If he does, he's an absolute legend. So I, I would be all for it. I'm just saying. I, I think that it, for, I think it may feel more like a one-off because we won't see any of the the massive the massive success in regards to wins and stuff. We're seeing Ben Simmons go to LSU and struggle mightily. You know, not struggle in terms of individuals, but like his team but, don't, don't don't go to the tournament. You know, things like that. So. Again, I think John Morant at Murray State was a, is the closest thing we could get to that one-and-done type guy or that, you know, top-five pick playing at that small of a level. And the Ohio Valley isn't cupcakes, but it's it's a, it's a, a very much a, a mid-major conference. And if you put, like, for example, if Josh Christopher was playing in the MEAC at Howard, he'd average 25 points a game easily. And I would say easy, but he would average 20 points, 20 points yeah. a game, probably 25. And, like, I think Howard would be the best the best team in the NBA. Maybe, maybe I'm underrating the, the competition. But I, I, I do feel like, again, I think your point about the facilities is, 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 is a real thing. You know, these schools are massively underfunded, uh, which is a problem. And, look, I think... Some of it has to do with look these like the schools don't have you know the 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 you know the eyeballs you know whether it be TV contracts whether it be talent you know and if the but if the talent comes the TV will come you know if the TV contracts come then the Nike money will come and it's all it all starts with the talent base so that's where I do think that this is an important thing to talk about and I think it's it, it's a possibility of really causing a major shift but. Um, but I don't think any one player would be mass- negatively that affected f- from it. Um, I think I think someone like Mikey Williams would be fine if they went to that school. But it's also tough for me to tell Mikey Williams to do that because, like I said, now you're telling him to go to a school that's not going to have some of the actual resources or is not going to have, uh, you know, the best facilities. You know, the even like most- travel, even something like tra- even like traveling. You know, from school to school, you're not flying yeah. on jets or you know planes and things like that. Yeah. You know, you, you no, like riding the bus. To tell you to go to what right now is is you know financially a mid major program. It's not even mid major. <laughs> no, yeah, like like, like the, yeah, right. You know, if, in terms of funding, and instead of going to a school like Kentucky where you're treated like an NBA player. So that is that's the issue, which is why someone like Josh Christopher. That's the one thing I will say about the, you know, the backlash is that luckily Josh Christopher. I'll say luckily, but you know, Josh Christopher didn't get much of the backlash because also, I mean, I part of it is I think Josh Christopher wasn't too aggressive with I'm going to an HBCU. You know, he just said, look, I'm they're on my list. I'm gonna take a visit. I think nobody really thought he was going to Howard. You know, a kid from California. You know. That's again always been a West Coast kid. He probably wasn't gonna go to California, but uh, wasn't gonna go to Howard. Um, but you know, he, no, he never, he didn't really get much backlash for it. Um, 
Mikey Williams is going a little gr- aggressive in terms of his stance on keeping them on his list. So I just hope he keeps them on on his list. You know, he didn't say he's going to an HBCU, so I hope people understand that. But, um, you know, I know that you know schools like Memphis are trying to get involved. I know uh, schools like Kansas are trying to get involved. So this will be look, he's going to be recruited by the best schools in the country. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, and the G League will also be involved. So this will be an interesting thing to follow. Yeah, shout out, shout out to Mikey Williams, man. Awesome post. Good luck in his recruitment. And um, man, again, if he get, if he does it, he's a legend. Also, really, you know, we haven't talked about him on this show, but he's a great player. I mean, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what. I mean, that's why it will be so big because this yeah. kid. I mean, yeah, I'm, yeah. Like he's he's truly an elite prospect. Truly a yeah, phenom. I mean, basketball tomorrow, and be fine. Right. <laughs> you know. Exactly. So that's why that's why this is such a big deal. So shout out to, to Mikey. Um, I want to talk about Oklahoma State. They were hit with a one year postseason ban after one of his former assistant coaches was sentenced to three months in prison for uh, accepting bribes to send certain uh, OK State and originally uh, South Carolina players to financial advisors. Um, the Cowboys were one of the teams watched this year because, of course, they have consensus top three potentially for a lot of people the number one player in the class of 2020 kate cunningham joined the squad this year uh, the ncaa says currently uh uh any current or incoming players recruits that can apply for a standard waiver to be granted a release from those commitments so kendall how does this play out with mr cunningham yeah you know the kate cunningham situation is very fluid right now um first of all I mean, look, do I think Oklahoma State got a raw deal? Uh, I mean, look, they got they got the hammer. I'm not going to say they got a raw deal because there has to be some some semblance of punishment uh, with, with in college basketball for this FBI thing and the, the all the uh, scandal around that. Um, and the Oklahoma State punishment now then certainly sends a ripple, uh, a, a ripple effect uh, and shockwaves throughout programs like Kansas and LSU and Arizona, we're going to be watching those very closely because those programs don't get hit as hard as Oklahoma State. They will be, I would imagine, Louisville as well. But if they're not, or if they're not even hit harder than Oklahoma State, who had kind of a minor uh, a minor thing compared to some of these other schools, then uh, it'll be more hypocrisy from the NCAA. But uh, when it comes to Kate Cunningham, the streets are very quiet right now in regards to Kate Cunningham, EJ. Yeah. And, you know, and what, what I mean by that is doesn't seem like anybody knows what he's going to do. You know, typically when a guy, when there's this much skepticism or this much uh, kind of intrigue about what a guy is going to do, there's always somebody that claims to know them or somebody that claims to have a source that says this guy's doing this, this team's already angling to get involved or this you know, the G League trying to get all there's nothing. We know nothing right now about Kay Cunningham and that's uh that's fascinating. I think that shows you that this caught so many people by surprise. Um typically when a guy like for example, we'll talk about Mac McClung later in the show, when he decommitted or he there were there were people when he was in the draft that knew, oh, he's gonna he's gonna transfer. Right. You know? Like that had already been out. And then when he when he announced it, it was a kind of old news at that point. Because the stat, the plate, the 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 wheels were already in motion behind right. the scenes. There were no yeah. wheels in motion for a Kate Cunningham transfer or a Kate Cunningham 
the commitment yeah. Kate Cunningham going to overseas uh, because it shocked everybody. So this is all we're all following this in real time. Uh, shout out to Mike Boyton, uh, the coach of Oklahoma State, who probably is wrongfully being kind of you know affected by this. Yeah. Nothing to do with the scandal, but uh, when you look at Kate Cunningham, I mean, look, we're talking about a top two player in the country. You know, depending on who you like between him and Jalen Green, I think Kate Cunningham would have had a bigger impact in college basketball than Jalen Green, which mm-hmm. we talked about in an earlier video. Uh, although Jalen Green may may have more upside. Um, so I think you're talking about the best player in college basketball right now. I think he's a free agent, um, <laughs> which is, is which is crazy. And yeah. uh, Gary Parish from CBS Sports came out and said that if Gay Cunningham decommitted, uh, that he expects uh, Kentucky to be the clear front runner to get Kay Cunningham. Uh, and I understand that mindset because when Kay Cunningham chose Oklahoma State, the other school that he was seriously, seriously considering seemed to be Kentucky. Exactly. So I understand that mindset. The only issue is that when Kay Cunningham committed, Kentucky hadn't they right now Kentucky's recruiting class has Devin Askew at the point guard, along with BJ Boston and Terrence Clark at the two guard, at the wings. So, those are three five-star players. And at the time, <laughs> Devin Askew wasn't committed. It was right. kind of, you know, whichever you guys, whichever one of you guys wants to be the point guard, you guys have to commit first. And now that Devin Askew's there, I mean, look, if I'm Cal Perry, I'd rather have Kate Cunningham, of course. But it's kind of late to do that. Do you take Kate Cunningham and just tell all these guys to figure it out? I mean, I would. But uh, he, that's what he would do if that happens. Yeah. That's what he's going to yeah, do. But the question is, does Kay Cunningham want to now go into a situation where he's, where now he's got to, he's kinda, I mean, he's a, he's not a selfish player at all. He's a very unselfish player. So he'd actually probably thrive in that situation. But yeah. you know, now he's going to a situation where there's a lot of, lot of, lot of heads, a lot of, you know, mouths to feed. Uh, he's going to be the point guard playing with another point guard. Um, so it'd be, it'd be awkward. Uh, but it's a, it's a very, very fluid situation, and apparently he doesn't seem interested in the G League. At least he wasn't initially. Right. Uh, there's some talk about him going overseas, but what do you think about the CJ? Yeah, I mean, it's nuts, man. Uh, this is obviously, I, I think I agree with your assessment that clearly this took a lot of people aback. Like, people weren't ready for this because, as you said, I've been waiting and seeing, okay, what's his next options? And there's very little out there about what's what comes next. I, again, I don't think. Know. Yeah, because I, I don't think, yeah, I agree. I think that's why, because I don't think he knows what's going to happen. So, um, Oklahoma State is appealing, so perhaps they want to kind of see where the appeals process goes. Um, we've seen in the past people appeal and then they maybe get some, some things kind of diminished. I, I could see maybe an appeal happening and them maybe getting some scholarships taken away, but maybe not the postseason ban. Uh, I, one thing I will say is, man, if they got a postseason ban, then Arizona and Louisville are going to get clobbered. You would think yeah, Kansas in Kansas. I mean, you you would think you're talking about two to three years, even probably from some of these other, some of these other schools. So buckle up. This could get really intense for some of these other fan bases who support those schools and obviously for those schools. Um, I don't know. I mean, to me, part of me looks at this and says, look, obviously playing in March Madness is a huge deal, not just for you know the player NBA prospect, but also for possibility of um marketing you know yeah brand exposure brand exposure absolutely 
But I, I, I'll be honest. I think at this point in the game, if he if he really is committed to wanting to play at Oklahoma State, and you mentioned some of the issues at Kentucky, I mean, if there isn't a perfect fit anywhere else, I might just play the season because you're one and done anyway. Like everybody knows you're one and done. Everybody knows you're not in the in in this thing to kind of like, uh, you know, you know, build a help build the program. Like that's not this. You're you're finding a school to so you can play one year so you can show your few skills to the NBA uh, scouts and recruits. I mean, excuse me, scouts and coaches and GMs. I mean, nothing has really changed other than that. Who's the top? Who are the top one and done prospects in the 2020 draft? Uh, Cole Luke. Anthony didn't. Team didn't make the tournament. Um, Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards' team didn't make the tournament. James White. James Wiseman's team didn't make the tournament. He didn't even play to, to even get them. They, well, we don't know if they would have made the tournament. It was very unlikely they were going to make the tournament. Yeah. Oh, these was skeptical. It was dicey. Let's put it that way. Dicey <laughs> they were going to make the tournament. Lamelo Ball. Yeah, Lamelo Ball didn't play college basketball. Yeah, I mean, that seems KCM, to be very. The, the bar has been set at this point that you don't have to play in the NCAA tournament. To be a top five pick. Yeah, so I was saying Ben Simmons didn't play. In, like I feel like he was kind of like the first guy where it was like he didn't play yeah. in the NBA tournament, and he got he kind of got killed for it. But it wasn't enough to not make him number one pick. He but still went number one over guy. Went to Duke, who won thirty yeah, games. Brand was helped by the fact that it wasn't helped, but like it was it became a huge thing. You had the superstar guy. This team wasn't even good enough to make the tournament. Um, yeah, Marco, Marco, you said Marco Fultz, team won like a 12 games? Yeah, <laughs> not even. So, like, <laughs> you know, like that's that's becoming a thing now. Now, now if Kate Cunningham goes the route of Marco Fultz and his team, now I think Oklahoma State probably be pretty good. Yeah, I think player. so too. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think it would be like Marco Fultz, part of it, part of the reason there was no fanfare was his team was so bad. Yeah. You know, like LSU was at least competitive. So those games were interesting when they played against Kentucky and other teams. You know, Marco Fultz, we really didn't care. Even when they played against UCLA, it was like, it's yeah. just a scouting game. Cause we know who's going to win. Um, Oklahoma State is competitive, so people would still care, but it's it's tough. It's, it's tough to tell a guy you're not going to have any chance to play in the Big 12 tournament pack the, yeah. the, or NCAA tournament, you know, like your team's playing for nothing. That is, that's a tough, that's a tough thing to swallow. Um, but look, his brother, is a, his brother is an assistant coach. So yeah, that's the thing. It's just everything just seems so well set up at Oklahoma State. This is a bad inconvenience, but like you mentioned, I don't know how. Look, he anyway he goes, he's a starting point guard. But again, Kentucky has a lot of guards, and he's been playing in a backcourt with Terrence Clark, who's also going to demand a lot of touches, a yeah. lot of attention. How does that work? You know, like I don't know. It's not and, a great thing. unless and unless you can show me another place that had a plan for him, has a spot for him where it makes sense for him to step in and be the point guard and he, they can go to the tournament and be fine, I'll say, all right, then go for it. But if that situation doesn't really exist and you're telling me no. Kentucky is the main place that would would be the place he would leave, he would go to if he left, I'm like, I would just yeah. stay. Like, now, I, in terms I, of other schools that were recruiting him, Washington was on his final list. Florida was on his final list. He took official visits there. And, I mean, look, those schools – Certainly could use a player like well, Kate Cunningham. Florida needs a guard, as we're going to talk yeah, about in a yeah. minute. <laughs> also point guard, so. <laughs> uh, Florida certainly could use him. Uh, Washington certainly could use him. You know, Memphis was on his final 10. They thought they were getting Jalen Green, so they didn't really push for Kate Cunningham that hard. Now that they don't have Jalen Green, maybe they push harder for Kate Cunningham. If he's on the table, 
Um, and they, they lost. They lost Tyler Harris too. Yeah, they lost Tyler Harris. They they went after Mac McClung, couldn't get him. Mm-hmm. You know, again went after Jalen Green. They've been very aggressive uh, in the transfer market. Haven't really hit on any guards per se. So, I mean, there are a lot of there are schools out there that are still kind of scrambling. You know, but I mean, Ohio. all the schools you mentioned, though, none of those teams sound like automatic tournament teams. No, no, not, exactly. not one. <laughs> Which maybe that's appealing to him. You know, he said in the past he doesn't really necessarily want to go to a blue blood, but right. But know. my my I guess my point being that like you can go to the schools and still not play in the postseason. Yeah, you still not. You still may not play. So, the so my thing is, if you got the the your 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 homies, the coach was it his brother? His brother's the yeah. coach. Brother's assistant. Brother's the assistant. They've already set everything up for you. You know what the situation is going to be. I don't know if I'm at this late in the game with during a pandemic, during all this stuff. I'm saying, all right, I'm going to just go someplace else that really wasn't expecting me. My de- brother's not there. Um, yeah. They stopped recruiting me. I haven't had contact with them in months. Like, I, I don't know. I, I feel bad for him. I feel bad, obviously, for the whole all the players at Oklahoma State. I feel bad for him, particularly because it's like, for this comes so late in the game. Yeah. I don't know. The NCAA teams will continue continually be okay with shooting its own self in the foot when it comes to some this, of this stuff. We talked I, about. I don't, the, I don't understand we it. Topper on our show, and he mentioned that the NCAA continues to push player the best players out of college basketball. Yeah, uh, it happened to Memphis with Wiseman, and it happened to Memphis with Jalen Green. Yeah, uh, but like if Kate Cunningham decides, you know, screw it, I'm going to the G League, which would be. It's something I want to talk about. That would be really bad, I think, for a lot of parties. Um, college basketball, honestly, would be the least effective if Jalen Green goes to if Clay Cunningham goes to to the G League. Um, it would hurt, but I mean, like again, clearly they're not worried about that for whatever reason. But honestly, I think the NBA it would not be good for the NBA. It'd be good for the G League and like their their whole thing that they have some super team with Clay Cunningham and Jalen Green on there. Yeah, uh, but. For, for the NBA teams that are trying to scout, if Katie Cunningham and Jalen Green were both on this G League team, I wouldn't I wouldn't know what to think. You know, it'd be you know it'd be an All Star team with guys just playing. I mean, Katie Cunningham can kind of play with anybody, but how am I supposed to scout these two guys against each other when they're on the same team, playing in exhibition games? Like at least Zion and Barrett and Reddish were playing legitimate basketball games. Where you know it was like, all right, the cream really rises to the top, and we figured the cream figured out the cream was Zion Williamson. Maybe that's the case if Kate Cunningham goes to the G League, but that would just be an awkward fit for everybody. I think it'd be awkward for Jalen Green, it'd be awkward, awkward for Kate Cunningham, Dacian Nix, who's a point guard now. What I'm signing up to be a backup. That's yeah, I, I think I think eventually they got to find a way to get. They can't do the, the exhibition thing forever. I think they got to find a way to make it a legit team or. Have them yeah. like what I was thinking was maybe have them in. I don't want to spend too much time on this because we're running late, but I I, I want to um, maybe have them like they're doing these these. We're talking about these in season tournaments in the NBA. I don't know if they've started it. I don't think they've started them yet in G League. But what I would do is I'd have them competing in those kind of tournaments, like right? Games like, that so- do games that do matter um, and games that do mean something. So that the other players that they're going against, I know that they're taking it as seriously as those kids should be taking it. So. I, I always felt like the, the exhibition games was kind of like the the weakest part of the G League program in terms of like evaluation and interest. But I, there are ways to fix that. That's that's one of the ways I have. But so, um, what do you think they kind of going to do real quick? I think he will stay. I think what will happen is I think that they will appeal and I think that they will I think they will get that ban off. I think there are enough parties interested in making sure that this 
doesn't continue. The ghost of a uh, uh, T Boone, Boone Pickens would be very happy about that. But <laughs> shout out to um, uh, that's that's but, my take. You think he's gonna leave though? You think he's definitely gonna leave? I think he's gonna transfer, yes, or mm. get a release. Mm. All right, man. we'll see. We'll see how that shakes out. Uh, let's go through these transfers real quick. So, um, obviously, you mentioned Mac McClung. He announced he will be joining Texas Tech. Uh, he turned down offers from Memphis, Auburn, Wake Forest, USC, BYU. Um, his, as you said before, his decision initially came after entering the NBA draft uh, and then withdrawing from the draft. As rules constantly state, he would still have to sit out a year, but you guys know how that goes in terms of people getting waivers to play immediately, so I'll leave it at that. Kendall, big deal, little deal, or no deal that Matt McClung is now a Red Raider? Uh, I think it's I think it's a little deal. Um, you know, I think you know, I think it's it's certainly I think he's gonna get a waiver. It sounds like the, the language that he used when he transferred was certain things happened at Georgetown that made it certain that he couldn't be there, whatever that means. And whenever people have talked about it, it's been very kind of hush-hush, like, you know, Patrick Ewing, essentially Patrick Ewing is going to make sure he gets that waiver so that things don't come out. I don't know what that means. But mm. <laughs> but uh, regardless, it sounds like he's going to get his waiver uh, to play. Kind of, the, the language seems similar to when Justin Fields transferred out of Georgia for some right. issue at the school. Um, so if that happens, look, Mac McClung at Texas Tech is going to be uh, going to be dynamic, and they, they need a guard. Yeah. Uh, after losing David A. Moretti, losing Jamias Ramsey, um, you know, and look, if they get Jonathan Kuminga, that would be huge. I don't think they will, you know, because I don't know if he's going to play college basketball. But if he does, then Texas Tech, then I would say this is a huge deal. And then Texas Tech is now a top five, ten team in the country because Chris Bird, Chris Beard, rather, is is one of the five best coaches I think in college basketball. So I think this is a little deal right now. If Kuminga commits, it could be a big deal. Uh, I agree with you. I'll go. I'll go. Little deal pending on what parties uh, return or come or, or rather sign on. Uh, McClung's a, a very good player. Um, I think that if he comes back, he's you know one of the star players in college basketball. Uh, we know what Chris Beard's able to do. I, we we said I think from the beginning that Texas Tech felt like the perfect fit for him and his game yeah. and how they play. So. It's it's a little deal with the potential of being a big deal, depending on how they fill out the roster. But as we know with Chris Beard, as he's shown pretty much his entire career as a coach, he doesn't need a lot. You know what I'm no. saying? He doesn't need a lot Even to, to compete at an elite level. <laughs> last year they were they were they weren't the best team in college basketball, but they could compete with any team in the country with not a whole lot of talent. Like Jared Culver was gone and they didn't really replace him. I mean Jamias Ramsey was very good, but still not Jared Culver yeah. and they lost three goals and they were still a competitive basketball team. Now, you know, if you bring it, you've already bring in Damari Burnett, who's a four star, five star kid, bringing down Mac McClung to those guys in the backcourt. And then if you get Kuminga, I think we're talking about a top 10 team in the country. Yeah. I mean, no, they don't have a lot of shooting. Losing already is going to hurt them in that regard. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, this, this could be something uh, with McClung uh, headed to Texas Tech. Another guard who withdrew the, from the draft only to enter the transfer portal is former uh, Florida guard Andrew Nemhard. According to ESPN right now, I kind of know we got uh, some of the teams that have reached out to him, including Gonzaga, Duke, Oregon, UCLA, USC, and Memphis, and Georgetown, who uh, obviously now needs a guard after the uh, departure of McClung. Uh, where do you see Nemhard fitting best so far? 
Yeah, I mean, it's funny because three of those teams that you mentioned kind of got screwed over in the last couple, in the last month with uh, Dacian Nix at UCLA leaving Jalen Green, not going yeah. to Memphis. And uh, you mentioned Mac McClung, I was not going to Georgetown. So those are those are three teams right now trying to kind of scramble and uh, kind of salvage whatever they can. And we, we don't know right now what whether or not Nimhard is a play right away transfer. Um that's probably a big deal, but as of right now, he's a, he's good enough to where a team will take him now or next year. But um, but no, when it comes to Nimhard, I would say the teams that you have to look at are certainly Duke because of the R.J. Barrett connection, him having been teammates with R.J. Barrett mm-hmm. uh, both internationally uh, and in high school uh, at Montverde. Uh, Gonzaga has obviously a history with Canadian point guards and yeah. international players in general. Um and Oregon, another school that, you know, has uh, had a lot of success with uh, Canadian players. Uh, I think Memphis will, will certainly try, you know, and whenever Memphis tries to get into a conversation with a player, especially a point guard, they'll have a chance, just like they did with Mac McClung. But uh, it, when it comes to what team I think will get Andrew Nimhard, my early guess right now is Oregon. You know, I think because of the Canadian connection, you're losing Peyton Pritchard. Mm-hmm. He could step in right away and be arguably the team's best player. Um, we're talking about a guy that could be playing in the NBA right now. You know, he, he probably would have been a second-round pick and, you know, played in the FIBA World Cup, you know, against Team USA and other, you know, senior national teams and played with the Canadian senior national teams. We're talking about a very seasoned point guard. Not a guy that's going to average 25 points, but a guy that's going to uh, really quarterback her team as well as any other point guard in the country. I could see Oregon for sure. Um to me, he, he feels like a dookie, you know. He, he has the, the very close relationship with R.J. Barrett, um, Mike Krzyzewski, now starting to tap into the Canadian uh, recruiting yeah. pool as well. Um, I know they have, obviously, Roach coming in. Um, they have Gold Link on the roster. Yeah, Gold Wire, Wire, sorry, Gold Link is a rapper. <laughs> Gold Wire on the <laughs> roster. I don't think that that's going to deter Mike, uh, excuse me, Mike Krzyzewski from from picking up a player like Nemhard. We've seen what he's done in the past with um, signing multiple players who play the same position and getting there and just telling them to figure it out. And sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. But I think that at this point in this stage, at this stage of his career, I think he's just trying to put the best talent pool together to compete at the highest level. And I think Nemhard yeah, comes in and he's a difference maker. Are you uh, subtweeting about uh, Marvin Bagley? <laughs> I, I I I tell you what I mean the Bagley uh, Carter situation is the the immediate situation that comes to mind if you ask me yes I, that that situation immediately comes to mind if you guys don't know you know obviously Wendell Carter had already signed to Duke and he was assuming that he'd be the the big man uh, on campus he was supposed to be the best player on the team and then they signed uh, Bagley who reclassifies and afterwards his family was kind of talking about oh we didn't we were lied to and. You know, they kind of made these illusions, not speaking to exactly what they were talking about, but we knew that's what they were talking about. So, um, and it, I'm sure you can make the same case for what happened with, you know, Reddish, Zion, and, 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 and Barrett. I, I guarantee you, you know, Coach K didn't tell all of them, hey, we're going to get Zion too, you know? Because, at again, <laughs> at the at the time, a lot of people thought they all kind of played the same position. So, yeah. K, K doesn't care about that. You know, I think K feels like his leadership skills, his uh, quality as a coach, he can smooth over whatever 
uh, beef may come from whatever he may have told the recruit on the recruiting trail that becomes very different once we get to uh, the fall and they're practicing with you know a, another elite player at their position. So I can see Nemhard certainly being there. Um, I'm a, as you guys know, I wore a Gonzaga fan shirt on the last uh, podcast, so you guys know I'm a Gonzaga fan. Obviously, I'd love to see Nemhard at Gonzaga. The question with Jalen Suggs makes things interesting. Um, by all accounts, we assume Jalen Suggs will be in Spokane in the fall, but it, it, it still seems to be kind of like a cloud hanging over whether or not this is actually going to go through. So Nemar could provide some security if that doesn't go through. I also feel like because uh, uh, Suggs size, I think that you could put both of them in the backcourt. Yeah, now, if you got Nem- if you got Nemar and Suggs in the backcourt, you got the best backcourt in the country coming in next year. So yeah, I, 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 and that's of course assuming that Nemar is allowed to play next year. If he's not allowed to play, I, as I say as a Gonzaga fan, I look at Gonzaga as a place where you can you know wait set out one year and then come back a beast. I don't know how many guys we've seen either redshirt or go into a transfer year and not play and they come back and they're NBA players. So, I mean, to me, if you're a transfer, Gonzaga should always be in your final list because everybody who who makes that transfer move ends up much better for it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, for Gonzaga fans, you know, you definitely think about Nigel Williams-Goss when he comes to that heart. Similar kind of player, similar kind of stage of their career, you know, when when they made this move. And so I think that's a selling point. And I think Williams Goss, uh, or rather Nimhard, would be a very good fit for Gonzaga. You also then wonder what happens with Joel Ayayi. You know, does he now have to stay in the draft? Does he transfer? Does he now just come off the bench? You know, uh, he's, he's, he's the guy that kind of emerged last year. Yeah. Um, but Gonzaga's an interesting team because, you know, obviously you mentioned you're a Gonzaga fan, but, you know, they're a team that right now, if everyone comes back, including Corey Kispert, and Philip Petrusev as well as the Yai, they could be a preseason number one team in the country. I'd say I'd argue they probably should be. Yeah, I, I'd argue they should be. And but there's that there's a massive kind of there's a range where you know in a darkest timeline if you lose any one of Suggs, Petrusev, Kispert, or all of those guys that you know now you're you're ranked mid you're a middle of the road kind of top 25 team that'll still beat up on the west coast conference but maybe not a national championship contender so that's that's but we say that we say that about gonzaga but that was supposed to be what gonzaga was this past season (laughs) like like i mean at a certain point we gotta start to i mean i'm not i don't want to you know toot the gonzaga horn here as a fan but at some point we gotta start to assume gonzaga to be kind of like duke where no matter who's I mean, on the team, they're going to be in the top five. Because yeah, I mean, they, they've had a couple of years, they're supposed to be transition years recently, and they end up winning 30 games and securing a top one or two seed. And the thing about that is because Gonzaga doesn't play in a, I hate to hit on the whole thing of they don't play in a tough conference, but when you're not in a power five, like Gonzaga, yeah, they're going to win the West Coast Conference every year. I'm not going to argue that. And they're going to probably dominate it every year. So you got a guy, Drew Timmy, like he, he's way better than anyone else in the West Coast Conference outside of maybe BYU and St. Mary's. Uh, Anton Watson's coming back. He's, he's also going to dominate the West Coast Conference probably. Right. You know, so they're going to have pieces. But if we're talking competing at that national level with the Dukes and the Kentuckys, you're going to need horses like Jalen Green, Philip Petrusev, Corey Kisper, guys who have been there or guys who are going to be top five, top ten. I'm, just, say, I'm just saying, last year people were saying in order yeah. to compete 
in the conference, you were going to need the Rui Hachimoras and the Brandon Clarks to compete at the elite level. And guess what? They are still number one in the country. Look, maybe it's the recruits. Maybe, you know, you know. Then, you know, Julius Tracer, these dudes are also top 60, 70 recruits. So, you know, maybe those guys are better than we expect. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, I mean, you got to give Fugues credit, after, you know, at some point. You know, I think if a guy, because that is always going to be competitive, you know. If we're talking national championship, I don't know. I mean, I'm saying, I'm saying. I look, they haven't won one yet. So, so in fairness, they haven't won one yet. So they got, they got to do it. But I'm talking about being a contender. And again, if you're talking about being a contender, recent history has shown like it doesn't. Recent history show doesn't seem to matter who's on the roster. Like it's starting right. to become a situation where the system kind of runs itself, and they got the talent now coming in every year to compete on that level combined with. Few's coaching ability. So shout out to uh, the Gonzaga crew. Shout out to Mark Few and, and, and all the work he's done over there. Um, the last recruit or transfer rather we should discuss though is uh, the leader of the Jelly Fam uh, is back in the portal. Isaiah Washington, Iona guard, announced he is leaving the school after just one season. Uh, he previously transferred from Minnesota after falling out with in fa- a favor with coach Richard Pitino. The timing of this new coaching hire with Rick Pitino meant that he had to get out of there as well. He said, peace, I ain't playing for this guy. Especially Patino actually had some quotes where he was slamming Isaiah Washington uh, while he was at Minnesota. So um, so this, this we knew this was probably going to be the end once uh, Rick got the job over at Iona. Um, what do you make of his second transfer? I mean, this kid is kind of kind of became like an internet phenomenon. And, you know, he played well last year at Iona. It, you know, he had a good season. But obviously, they didn't make a lot of noise. Uh, would they have made the tournament? I don't remember what happened in the MAC. Did they? Did they win the MAC tournament? Did um, they even have the MAC tournament? I don't think the MAC tournament played. They didn't play it out, right? Finished. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Hostra won the CAA or whatever they were playing it. Yeah. Okay, because I knew one of the New York teams when I couldn't remember. So, so we don't know what I only see how I only see would have ended. But now, uh, Jelly fans back in the portal. I mean, is there anywhere you want to see him go? What do you make of this yeah. second transfer for this kid? Yeah, I mean, Isaiah Washington, you know, we talk about uh, Jelly Fam. He's a, uh, a New York City legend, you know, when it comes to ice sure. basketball, when it comes to, you know, street ball, you know, overall just the culture uh, in New York of the last five to ten years. I, there hasn't really been many figures like Isaiah Washington, you know, in sports, uh at the youth level, you know, even in like hip hop, you know, you think we're talking about like, you know, a boogie, you know, and a couple, maybe a couple other people, you know, little TJ. And then, you know, I think Washington's going to be in that conversation, but you know, he hasn't had the, you know, he hasn't had the college career that people expected, at least people in New York expected. And, and you know, he was never a five-star point guard. So I don't, I think if you ask a college basketball coach, or you ask a, um, a recruiting analyst. I don't think they would tell you they're shocked that Isaiah Washington kind of struggled at the next level, but um, I think he's got to go. I think he's got to come. I don't want to say he's got to come home because he went to Iona, but he's got to play, I think, at a level that fits him. You know, I know Long Beach State reached out. Uh, maybe some people feel he may, he may need to get away, you know, from the New York area. Uh, Minnesota didn't really do him any favors. Uh, honestly, I think if he would have stuck it out in Minnesota, I think things could have gotten better. You know, I think he's good enough to play at that level. I just think he wasn't. Not everyone's a one and done. You know, I think that's what some guys have to realize. But um, 
But no, I think, you know, look, there are certainly, you know, spots. I think St. John's is a place that he could he could certainly go to. Um, I think he's going to play at the Power 5 level, though. And, you know, I think that's my point. I think he could play at the Power 5 level. Uh, I think he's going to give you a veteran guard uh, that can score, um, get to the basket. Hofstra is also, would also be a good fit uh, considering the success they've had with uh, local players recently. Yeah. So, I, I mean, there are no schools that I would look at if I were, if I were to be Washington. Yeah, I like the Hofstra, um, the Hofstra comparison because they've done a great job with a lot of uh, New York City guards, New York City players in recent years, guys that have become stars um, yeah. at Hofstra. And we see that that program is definitely on the way up. Uh, so I like the Hofstra comparison. Um, I agree. I think he needs to go to a place uh, that obviously, you know, values – uh, you know, downhill guard play. Um, yeah. You know, I'm not saying he, this is a place where he needs to go because I don't think they would be interested, but a place like Villanova, you know, makes sense. You know, you know, places that kind of run their programs in a similar you mean way. You tell me the school that, uh, that ran off Javon Cornerly wouldn't be interested in Isaiah Washington? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's, they're not going to want him. Um, and you would think Cornerly would have worked out uh, better than it did. But that's I think that's the kind of place places where, you know, uh, teams that will, will utilize multiple guards, teams that will, will kind of value uh, dribble penetration. You know a team that I think might make sense for him? It's it's not in the New York area, but I think considering the way they play and the way they've played recently, uh, a place like Illinois might be might be a good spot for him. You know? Oh, like, you know Antigua. Uh, yeah. You would be interested in that. but Exactly. Yeah. yeah got, you, know, you got the Antigua connection. Um, you know, they also value New York City guards. They value downhill guard play. Um, yeah. I don't know if they'd be interested, but I think they're coming off a year where they had a really strong year and they weren't able to um, capitalize in, you know, tournament play, which was unfortunate for all these teams. You know, for a team that's trying to maybe, you know, stay relevant and kind of stay afloat and keep the kind of talent that they have, maybe, you know, Isaiah could be a shot in the arm someplace like that. Yeah, you know, Illinois, uh, they're actually bringing in a New York City point guard, uh, Andre Curbelo from uh, Long Island Lutheran. So, you know, certainly, not, I mean, for him, he'd have to decide, look, if I'm sitting out, do I want to, you know, kind of be kind of, you know, behind the eight ball when it comes to the point guard position? That's true. Uh, with a starting freshman. Um, or, you know, if you feel like I'll, I'll play with that guy. He's probably, he probably knows Curbelo, probably friends with him. But, um no, I mean, I think, you know, Alabama's another team, though, with Javon yeah. now there. You know, honestly, I think it would be very fun to see those guys playing together, potentially. Um, and sometimes you need to play with guys that you're comfortable with, you know. I mean, sometimes, sometimes guys play better in that environment. Like, Quinterly, you know, I just Villanova never really fit him. I think he thought it did, but... Honestly, that's not where he was going to go in the first place. So. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's like you know, we I think I talked about it in the last podcast, like you know, Quinterly kind of fits exactly the kind of like parody of a player that uh, that Jay Wright says that you know he realizes he doesn't need. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So um, stylistically, you would think it would fit, but I think you know, the Villanova players that go there are typically kind of the unheralded kind of blue right. collar kind cult- of guys. Perspectives, not not the best yeah, fit. exactly. Culture perspective, not not the best fit. So, um, and that's why you know I'm just saying I wouldn't say Isaiah should go to Villanova or that they would want him. But 
and style of play, I think that that's the kind of team that also because because you know he's 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 undersized and he really kind of only you know from a traditional standpoint only plays one position, but he's also a guy who kind of looks to score. You need to find a team that could allow him to to get a lot of minutes, despite the fact that maybe he's only six one. That you can put him with another guard who is okay with you know him dominating the ball or things like that. Last, you know what I'm saying? The last school I, I I would be intrigued about uh, would be Murray State. You know, if Murray State was interested um, and said you're going to be our point guard, I mean, if I was Isaiah Washington, I'd be intrigued by what you know McMahon was able to do with uh, John Morant. You know, in the the Murray State lineage of point guards. You know, yeah. I give that a shot. It's a lower level. You should certainly be able to, may not dominate, but you should certainly be able to uh, produce. So I, that would be a place I would also look at. And I think that he shouldn't, uh, he should still keep his head up because, he, like you said, you know, some, not every freshman is going to be one and done superstar. Like his career, he still has plenty of time. You know, yeah. still, you know, he's got two full seasons still to, to show what <laughs> yeah. he's got. So, I, you know, I, I think, and that's why I think schools also shouldn't bail on him, you know. Uh, I think that uh, he's obviously a talented kid. Uh, I, I don't know what to make of you know character. I know that you know Rick had definitely kind of made allusions to his character. I haven't seen anything negative. You know, obviously he garners a lot of attention, but it seems to me he's handled it well. Um, yeah, he does. Like, what's the difference so- between him and you know? Really, there's no difference as far as we know between him and Matt McClung. You know, in terms of right. You know, they, they definitely like social media. They definitely, you know, use social media. But I don't think they, I think neither of them use it in a negative way or in a way that makes me feel like they don't care about the game. And I think to an extent, I think Georgetown may have kind of limited Mac McClung's ability to really promote himself. Um, you know, kind of, you know, Patrick Ewing's kind of from the mindset, the old school John Thompson mindset of players don't talk to the media, players don't do this, they don't do that. Yeah, McClung really liked that that much, you know, because right. he's a guy obviously has been promoting himself since he was a junior in high school. So uh, that that wasn't that was never the best fit, you know. I don't know if you ever thought about that or if Ewing sold him something different than what he had, what it ended up being. But um, but now he's gonna go to a school that I would imagine would allow him to do those types of things, and uh, Isaiah Washington's gonna have to find the same same situation. It's funny because like with the McClung thing, the last thing before I move on, like. From a like basketball program standpoint, probably wasn't a good fit. From from a school standpoint, Georgetown was a like a perfect fit for Mac McClung. Yeah, like Mac, like you know what I mean. Mac McClung's are at Georgetown now that don't play basketball. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like like that's what the school is. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. So like so that's kind of crazy how that worked out. So when you talk about why did he go there, um, that could have been a, a big reason why as well. Culturally, Georgetown. Uh, definitely seems to be a good fit for him. It just maybe the basketball team uh, didn't work out. Uh, yeah. Five star recruit Musa Cisse officially reclassifies into the 2020 uh, class, meaning that he'll be eligible to be a freshman this upcoming season. We spoke about the 611 center on the last pod. He was expected to an- announce his decision almost immediately after the uh, reclassifying, but then due to the unrest in the country, they said that they're going to delay that decision. Kentucky, Memphis, FSU, Georgia, LSU, and once again, Georgetown, who Georgetown's come up a million times on this podcast uh, today. Uh, 
or on his list. On the last podcast, Kendall, you said that if he reclassified, you thought it was likely a Memphis commitment. Uh, he, of course, plays high school ball in Memphis. Do you still feel that way? <laughs> very interesting. Um, yes, when I said that, there were very few crystal balls out from Lucy Cisse on mm-hmm. 247 Sports, so it was kind of still up in the air. Since I've said that, pretty much every single one of them have gone to LSU. So right. um, a lot of, a lot has changed behind the scenes, apparently, in that recruitment. Uh, there had been some word that LSU was, was, was certainly in the running the whole time, but I, I know I don't know if I ever bought it. Uh, I, I kind of always thought Florida State was more of a threat than LSU from a you know, pedigree standpoint. Leonard Hamilton has more of a track record than Will Wade, but especially with big men. But um, look, Will Wade, uh, he's a convincing recruiter, um, you know, and he's gotten five stars in the past. Uh, you know, he put together a great recruiting class last year, put together another great one this year, uh, despite all the, the potential scandal. You know, Dick Vitale tweeted this week that uh, they, they already got a notice of allegations from the NCAA. I don't know if that's true because Jeff Goodman said that his source tell him that that never happened, but it will happen eventually. Um, yeah. So I don't know. You know, I think Musa say right now, the LSU stuff is definitely weird. When you're talking about a guy, he never took a visit to LSU. Uh, never brought never Weird things him. happening at LSU? We've never heard of that before. Yeah. Yeah, I know, right? Shocking. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> but, um, but, I mean, look, it... It is a, it, there is a you know a pandemic that is preventing guys from taking visits, so I do take that in consideration. Um, he may have taken a visit during this time period had it not happened. You know maybe he was planning on taking a visit and he can't. Uh, you know plenty of dudes. Max McClung committed to Texas Tech without taking a visit, so it's not the craziest thing during this time. But I mean he's, he's already taking visits to Memphis and taking visits to uh, Kentucky and Florida State, so you would think those schools would be out in front. Um, at the end of the day, what he told Jonathan Gavoni, first of all, he told Jonathan Gavoni, who broke the news that he's reclassifying and committing soon, was that uh, he told him that he's been working out with James Wiseman and Precious Achua, and that that gave him the confidence to play, to know that he could play at the next level, and to know he could play the NBA very soon, potentially. Um, and, you know, he's been working out with Chris Brinkley, who also works out with Precious Achua out uh, in New York. Um, and he also told he also told John Levone he's looking for the, the place. The decision that he makes will be the school that gives him the best chance to make it to the NBA. So mm. I think that's the key that I don't think people are picking up on. And to me, that just doesn't sound like LSU, personally. Um, unless he's just, like, completely, like, warped in his mindset that LSU gives him the best chance out of Kentucky, Memphis, I mean that sounds like Kentucky. That sounds like a Kentucky answer to me. It could be a Kentucky. Could you know be what I'm Kentucky. saying? Like, I'm, and I'm not saying that's what's gonna happen. I'm just saying if you're telling me making the NBA is the number one priority, yeah. I mean, who Nasri got drafted in the second round after being a first round kind of talent when he got to LSU? Yeah, five star recruit. Yeah. Um, was he drafted? Or you draft? Oh yeah, I mean he might have went undrafted. He I, might have went undrafted. Yeah, he was a really late second round pick. Yeah, so, so that didn't seem to work out that great, you know. Um, and you know, Wade's not hasn't been there that long, so I don't have this long line of 
centers or even NBA players, period, that I can point to and say, well, this is what Will Wade has produced. So now that doesn't mean he doesn't, maybe he hasn't talked to Will Wade. I mean, obviously, he hasn't taken a visit, so it's not like he can go down there and say, oh, man, these facilities are crazy. Like, if I go here, I'm going to make the NBA. Yeah. I, I don't. But I don't know. I mean, the, you know, we talked about we talked to Cody Topper uh, on the on the YouTube channel. Shout out to him. He talked about how they're doing Skype visits and things like that. So maybe Will Wade is showing him something, and the coaches are showing him something that makes him consider, make him feel like, well, if I go down there, I'm gonna be, you know, I'm gonna be a beast. Uh, maybe I don't know. But yeah. when you say NBA is my number one priority, to me, Memphis, LSU would be. No higher than three on this list. Kentucky yeah. and Memphis would be first, and I can make a case. LSU, I mean FSU would be third. Yeah, and honestly, Georgetown, if they were still in the running, <laughs> would yeah. Would and considering they have a, yeah, and considering they have an NBA assist, longtime assistant coach, I mean LSU would not be on near high on my list if I'm talking about trying to make the NBA. Yeah. So and I don't know. Saying. I don't know where the crystal ball meets what Cisse is saying. Is he say trying to pull a fast one on everybody so that people don't get off the scent? Yeah, get off the scent of LSU because people don't anticipate, don't think of NBA prospects with LSU. Um, but we again, we don't know what these kids are thinking because maybe we'll always tell him, "Yo, Shaq went here," and he's like, "Oh, well, that's the place I got to go because I want to be yeah, like Shaq." <laughs> like I don't know. You know, it's funny. I was another kid Jalen Worley who's a you know a borderline five-star point guard in the 2021 class he did a an interview uh where he was t- talking about his his top 10 school and one of them was LSU he's a big six five point guard and when, it, when he just when he explained why he was considering LSU he said um you know look LSU's had a, a you know they've done great with you know big point guards like Ben Simmons so you know I feel like I can go there and play great and my head, I'm reading this. I'm like, this guy knows that Will Wade didn't coach Ben Simmons. Yeah, so, like, exactly. the Ben Simmons thing is kind of irrelevant. But, yeah. I mean, I love it. I mean, if that's why he's interested in LSU and, I mean, great for him. Sometimes guys care about the whole pedigree thing and the, it's great for the brand. Like, you know, you go to Georgetown, you can be the next great Georgetown big. But, like, at least Pastor Ewing played there under John Thompson. So there is yeah. some connection. And he's coached in the NBA at a very yeah, high level. That, yeah, it's a Hall of Fame, it's a Hall of Fame center. Yeah, and a Hall of Fame like, player, exactly. Like, I'm not going to go to, you know, I'm not going to go to, I don't know, Oregon and say, yeah, I'm going to be the next uh, Marcus Mariota. You know, like, <laughs> Chip Kelly's not there yeah, anymore. They, yeah, everybody that, like, made, everybody that was involved in Marcus Mariota's development is not at the program anymore. <laughs> oh, different school. Yeah, you exactly. Know, besides Nike. <laughs> it's a completely different Oregon. It's a completely different LSU. So, but some kids don't realize that. I mean, I remember uh, Karan Iverson. Memphis was a school that we contributed or we benefited from Derrick Rose and John Kyle Perry. And, you know, particularly Derrick Rose, what he built in the NBA post his career at Memphis, while Josh Pastner was the coach. And Pastner was only there for one year with Kyle right. Perry. Didn't coach Derrick Rose. But guys will go there because, oh, yeah, D. Rose went here. So if D. Rose went here and blew up, then I can go here and blow up. So I get that. You know, same with John Morant. But, like, if you go to Murray State, you're at least being coached by the guy that coached John Morant. So to me, it's an odd way of thinking. But the last thing I'll say about Steve Shea is that my theory on what's happening here is 
I wonder if on either both sides between LSU and Memphis, he's going to pick one of those two schools. I think Kentucky, mm-hmm. there is an outside chance that they that they pull a fast one on this one and they 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 you know they they steal him. But my gut tells me he's still going to go to Memphis, but okay. that there's a lot of smoke surrounding LSU in order to make the recruitment seem more legitimate. Because mm. we saw what happened with Wiseman, you know. And even with Wiseman, there's a lot of smoke. Oh, he's going to Kentucky. Like, he's not going to Memphis. Even, and then eventually he committed to Memphis. It was kind of like, well, duh. Of course he committed to Memphis. In order to make right. it seem like it wasn't a foregone conclusion, Wiseman said, yeah, the whole time I was going to Memphis. So, you know, and we end up seeing what happened with Wiseman, obviously, eventually, why he kind of went to Memphis. But when it comes to Moose Cisse, I don't think this guy transferring to, to, to a school in Memphis was for no reason. And, but you can't do the same thing like you did with Wiseman. You can't have him just say, yeah, hey, I'm transferring to school in Memphis, and then, you know, I'm in the bag for Memphis for, you know, for the whole year, and then I just go there. You know, there right. has to be a little bit of drama to make people kind of, oh, you know, really went back and forth. It was really, it, maybe it didn't go back and forth behind the scenes, but you kind of have to make it look that way. So that's, I think that's that's a, a possibility, you know, mm-hmm. but that could just be too. Maybe he really is considering LSU. You know, they are a power program when it comes to recruiting. So this is, this should be interesting to follow. It should be. Yeah, yeah we will for sure. Um, staying on uh, Memphis a little bit. And the last story for today is a move that has been anticipated for months. The former NBA champion and the Memphis Tigers assistant coach Mike Miller has resigned. He put out a statement saying, quote, the past two years have been amazing and I have so many people to thank Coach Hardaway for believing in me, all of the players uh, for their commitment, the University of Memphis and its incredible fans, my wonderful wife and kids, and the entire city of Memphis for everything you have done for me and my family. Uh, he says he's leaving to, quote, focus on his family. Mike Miller has been a beast on the recruiting trail. Uh, he is credited for bringing a lot of the top-tier talent that Memphis has snatched up in recent years. Kendall, you, you of course, have your ear to the ground with, with everything going on with the Memphis Tigers. What is going on here? What are you hearing as to why this has happened? Because Penny and Mike kind of were a kind of a, a dream team duo on the recruiting trail yeah. and it was it, as early as mid-season pretty much or even early season of this past season we were hearing mike's probably getting out of there soon so what happened what happened we have the, we have the chart the charter jet instagram post from penny with mike so, you know talking about yeah we going we, we out we out here we out here grinding like they were like they were like you know lebron and d wade in miami and now it's good it's over it's done just two years yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Um, first of all, I, I think it's funny because uh, Chris Vernon, uh, who, you know, hosts of the Ringer NBA show, uh, and, you know, he's a Memphis, he's a, he used to be a Memphis radio host, still I think he's a Memphis radio host, but he was, he was talking about this, and he said, he was like, one of the things that he finds funny about Mike Miller's statement about having to want to spend more time with his family is that, like, he spent the last three, four months with his family during this, uh, I know. During this health crisis. Yeah. So it was like, he, he was like, the last thing I want to do is spend more time with my family at this point. <laughs> but, so I think that, some of that's like, all right, that's cap. But, 
you know, look, maybe it's open to eyes to be like, oh, maybe I don't want to just spend my time recruiting guys and coaching. You know, maybe I just want to chill. But I don't know. Um, when it comes to Mike Miller, like you said, there's been a lot of smoke around, you know, what was going to happen uh, with Mike Miller all season. And I think he wanted to stay. That's my gut is that mm. the plan was for him to coach this season and then be out and then okay. bounce. And that plan got blown up when they didn't get Jalen Green and, and Greg Brown. And those were Mike Miller's recruits. Those are two guys he was heavily in on. I think if Jalen Green would have went to Memphis, I think Greg Brown probably would have went to Memphis. It's not a guarantee. But especially if Shaka Smart would have been fired, that would have certainly happened. And if, that's right. happened, if that happens now, why would Mike Miller leave? You know, Now you're setting yourself up for a team that could be a top-five team in the country, coaching two top-five, top-ten picks. And now, like, that's on your resume. So it would be stupid to leave at that point. So I think that was the plan. But once they didn't get those guys, it became kind of a wa- I don't say a waste of time because I think Mike Miller still adds something to the team from a coaching standpoint because he, you know, so he's a great player in the NBA for, for many years. So I get that, you know, that value. But from a recruiting standpoint, he missed out on the on, on the two guys he prioritized in this class. Really, the two guys, the only two guys the school prioritized. Um, so, really, what what's what's the point in, be, um, in being there for him or for or for Penny if if Mike's not going to be there long term? Like, right. I don't Mike Miller plan ever plan on being there for five, six, seven years. I think he wanted. I think they wanted to get Jalen Green and Greg Brown and coach those guys, and then we'll see what happens after that. But once that didn't happen, I think they. I think. I think it was a mutual decision, is what I'll say. I think they, I think this was a parting of ways that where, I think, not that Petty wanted Mike Miller to leave, like he was a, he was a, he was a, he was a, he was a negative factor, but that once it became clear Mike Miller wasn't going to be there long term, it wasn't in their best interest from a recruiting standpoint to have an assistant who's a lame duck, when, you know, he's gonna, be, he's not going to be out there recruiting Chet Holmgren, you know knowing that he's not going to be there. Right. Like, so that that is kind of the that was the awkward position that they were in. So I think they figured as opposed to pretty much, you know, tying our hands behind our back from a recruiting standpoint going forward, at least for the next year, let's get out in front of this. You know, if Mike Miller has anything else he wants to do, you know, there's been rumors about the Detroit Pistons potentially uh, being a, a spot. They have a GM opening, an assistant GM opening. Um... And Arn Tellum, who runs the Pistons right now, was his agent. So that could be a spot for him if that's where he wants to go, uh, although there's plenty of candidates for that. Um, but no, I mean, I don't think this will, I don't think this could, I don't think this will, this will hurt Memphis as much as a lot of people think because from a recruiting standpoint, Mike Miller, as important as he was and as great as he was as a recruiter, I know they didn't get Garrett Brown and Jalen Green, but to even be as close as they were to getting those guys. At Memphis is is a testament to how good a recruiter Mike Miller is, um, and he was the guy that got them Lester Quinones, got them Precious Achua, and got them Boogie Ellis. So you know it can't be overrated how how good a recruiter Mike Miller is. But I think they can find another guy that can you know if they if Penny wants to find another NBA guy, he can do that. I think I, I think there are plenty of guys that will sign up to be to be the next Mike Miller. I don't know who that is. I've heard uh, Nick Van Exel's name being thrown out there since he was last an assistant with the Grizzlies under Bickerstaff. Um, 
you know, but there's there. I think it's a place that is an attractive spot right now if you're in a, if you want to be an assistant coach in college basketball. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I mean, I agree that Memphis still could remain a attractive spot. I think Penny, Penny, you know. I think his name isn't as hot as it was, you know, in that first year going into year two. But still, I think his name resonates with AAU coaches, resonates with uh, AAU high school players. Like, it it still holds a lot of weight. So while Mike did an amazing job doing a lot of the groundwork, I I think that Penny's name will still get him in the door for a lot of kids that Memphis hadn't normally been in the door with. Now, when Coach Miller says, uh, you know, it's time for me to spend more time with my family. I mean, come on, no, family. That's a lie. I mean, I got I had to play the Spike Lee. It's a lie. <laughs> Join from his uh, from his uh, interview on first take. I mean, fam, more time with no, your family. That 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 is complete and utter cap. That is the that is like the basic. That is like. Um, how to explain I'm quitting or got fired 101 excuse. <laughs> like, in a time, like, as you said, during a pandemic, all you've been doing is being at the crib, and you're trying to tell me that I've found out I need to spend more time at the crib and not be working. That doesn't make any sense. Um, I think your assessment of it is probably close to what has happened. My assessment of it is basically, I think, I do think they both kind of realized, Penny and Mike, that he wasn't trying to be there long term. Um, this is probably going to be, I think he probably planned on being there for like three years, you know, most three or four years at the, four years, definitely at the, at the high point. And Mike was hoping this would propel him to some other gig. I think Mike started to hear the rumblings of these other gigs possibly being interested in him. And I think he looked back at it and said, you know, we're kind of in this no man's land because of the pandemic. Maybe it's best for me not to be committed to being at another job at this moment in time so that if, yeah. you know, while these first few jobs I opened up, I didn't get maybe something that comes up later on after all this is over, especially with the NBA season kind of the off season now being in like the fall and winter as opposed to being in the summer. Maybe it's best if I just chill and then wait to see what happens there. And I think Penny probably decided that it didn't make sense for him to have a guy at this point in time, who everyone knows is has one foot out the door, continuing on the staff. Uh, I don't think that that's, and I don't think it would have been the best for them. I mean, would it have got them in the door with some kids for this upcoming season? I mean, probably, but as soon as Mike leaves, I think that then they're they're behind April. I think I think I think Mike realized that he wasn't trying to even be there for three or four years. I think he kind of realized I'm trying to get out of here now because um, I think they all realized, man, college. I think these NBA guys don't understand how hard it is to be a college coach, whether it be an assistant or a head coach. In some ways, it's like it's a give and take because in some ways it's easier because you know you have total autonomy. Autonomy, you make more than the kids by a gross margin, so you have all the power. Job security is great. Job security is fantastic. So, so there are some benefits, but the 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 grind. The, it's a twelve month thing. Like the NBA, like yeah, these coaches they you know they scout, they they watch tape on the off season, but they get us off season. You know what I'm saying? And, like it, yeah. there is no off season for college basketball. When, when coaches. it came to Memphis, every from every recruit you heard, they would say, "Yeah, Mike Miller FaceTimes me every day," or Mike Miller exactly. every day. 
that means Mike Miller FaceTiming at least five, six, seven guys every day. Yeah, exactly. Imagine DJ, you had to FaceTime seven other dudes just trying to convince them to come on to, to our podcast every day. I barely like, like FaceTiming the people that I love in my life. <laughs> I don't like FaceTime that much. So imagine, yeah. well, my girlfriend didn't like that. <laughs> but like I'm saying, like I'm not a FaceTime person, period. So imagine if, imagine if you're talking about FaceTiming six, seven times a day with when you're a 40 year old man, you're talking to 15 year olds. Like it can't be the most fun thing in the world. I'm sure he yeah, loves especially. the competitiveness. I think I'm sure he loves wanting to be the best at his job because Mike, you know, was an elite athlete. And he wants to win. But that's just like you don't like, you know, getting up at 5 a.m. to run and to lift weights and then to, you know, go to the gym and shoot for five hours. Like, just like guys don't like that thing. They love being basketball players. They love the competitiveness that goes with it. Yeah. I'm sure he loves being a coach. He loves trying to win games, trying to build a program. Does he love the aspects of it, the individual aspects, having to fly across the country? Seeing these kids having to go to A tournaments, watch games from sun up to sun down. No, I don't know if any of these guys like that. It's part of the job. So and think about yeah, think about that grind. And then the last thing that I think pushed him out of college basketball is think about all of that grind that he put in to this class this year and the class last year. And what did it amount to for Memphis? It amounted to James Wise and the NCAA deciding on a whim. We're gonna cancel your season, basically. Now, I mean, for for coronavirus, I mean, because of a of a, a, a U-Haul that Penny Hardaway gave James Wiseman in, in in high school. Yeah. Decided to basically blow up Memphis's season, and because of that, probably, and because of the NCAA's own stupidity, pushed away Jalen Green, another guy he's recruiting. Right. That he thought that he had in the bag. And that's, that's another true. thing. That's another thing you don't gotta deal with in the NBA. You don't have this like governing body. That just come in and just wave their finger at you and say, hey, fam, the way you're doing it is wrong. Now you're not allowed to do this or this guy is suspended. Yeah. Like, like the, NBA, the NBA can't do that. You know, and it's it's unfortunate. But when you hear stuff about, yeah, he's going to go to Detroit Pistons potentially or he's trying to get get back in the NBA, I think that, that that's clear that this – I don't think – I think the NCAA stuff did not help. You no. know, I think if James Weisman was at Memphis and Memphis was – a top 25 team is what I think they would have been. I don't know if they'd have been a top 10 team, but if they were a top 25 team, and if Jalen Green commits, he's still at Memphis, and things are looking great, and maybe long-term he's not there, but, you know, now his stock is way risen, and he's probably, he probably loves the job because he's like, man, you know, I get to coach these great players, and I get to win, and I'm sure he had plenty of fun coaching Precious Achua and, yeah. you know, Book Ellis and all the other top guys that they got, but he thought he was going to sign up to coach a bunch of one and done. And he put in the work. It's not like he signed up and then. Oh, yeah. He, yeah, he put in the work. Nobody can deny Mike Miller wasn't trying his damnedest. Basically, one, he got James Wiseman. He convinced Jalen Green to come to Memphis. But other factors came in and that, you know, muddied the waters for him. So he's like, I can't control this. I can put in as much work as possible. And, quote, unquote, the man will still bring me down. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. That is, and so from that perspective, I totally understand it. Um, one guy I would reach out to if I was Penny Hardaway. I don't think this guy really wants to get into coaching right now. Uh, it seems to be more on the TV track. 
But one guy I would reach out to is uh, Vince Carter, newly retired Vince Carter. Then um, mm. it'd be look, you know, come in, you know, you put you're a, you're a Memphis Grizzly, so you know the city. You come in, be my Mike Miller. Um, if you want to get into coaching, like the recruiting won't be that hard for Vince Carter, you know, because he's Vince Carter. Yeah, you know? he's a household name. He's a legend. He's played with million NBA players. He's got the respect of every player in the league, you know. And my other pitch would be, look, I know you want to get in this TV thing, but be, come here for two, three years. If we start winning games, like I think we will, you know, once we get past all the NCAA stuff, you could be the next coach in North Carolina, you know, because Jerry Stackhouse right now seems to be the guy in pole position. Him and, and Hubert Davis, who's an assistant in North Carolina, for when Roy Williams leaves, whenever that is. But I don't think North Carolina, just like Duke, I don't think North Carolina, North Carolina really loves any of the in-house options that they have. Right. You know? And so Jerry Stackhouse, that's the best thing they could do. I mean, look, the guy coached in the NBA as an assistant in the G League and, you know, did a decent job at Vanderbilt in his first year. But I don't know if that Vanderbilt thing is ever going to get big enough to where they're going to be super excited about Jerry Stackhouse. Yeah. And he's not the biggest North Carolina basketball alum. But Vince Carter. Yeah. I mean, it's a different game. He's like the elite of the elite when it comes to North Carolina. When you talk about North Carolina basketball, that would excite people. Especially if he had been with Memphis and Penny Hardaway and they had been winning games and recruiting top guys. I just, yeah, I guess for me, I know, I guess maybe I'm married to the Toronto Vince, the Nets Vince, and he's been a guy taking the back seat for the last decade plus. And it's kind of crazy how long it's been. But I still feel I don't know if the first gig out of retirement he's trying to take a back seat again to anybody. Um, and That's I, fair. you know, I, my if I was my pitch to Penny would be you'll make a lot more money doing this than being on TV as a rookie on television. But by the same time, it's a lot of money. Yeah, and I don't I don't think Vince is Vince is not making that on his first year in television. He's making a lot. I don't think he's making five hundred thousand. That's, I mean, and then that's, that's really like right. Million. Yeah, and then, yeah. If you had coach, you're a million. You're making, you're a millionaire. So at any major school. So I think I get that part. I get that part of it in terms of why I would recruit him. I just don't know if, again, a guy who's such a who's such a star player, such a he's a basketball icon. I think that's fair to say. Um, I don't know if he's saying I'm taking a backseat to some other guy. Yeah, Mike Miller, Mike Miller had been a role player yeah. for all of his career. He he'd always been the number three option, even at his best. You know, so so he always was a, a supplementary guy. So I think being a supplementary guy to a star, it was he it was like he walked right into that role easily. Yeah, like Nick Van Exel, it makes more sense because Nick Van Exel has been that kind of guy, a very yeah. talented guy who always was kind of like second fiddle or third fiddle to some other guy. You know, whether it's Shaq, whether it's Dirk Whiskey and Steve Nash and Michael Finley, like he he knows that role, so it will be he'll be comfortable. And he's been an assistant coach, so he also knows about not being the quote unquote man and running everything. So, so but Vince coming from the NBA, you know, these guys they don't like to go down that long, long road right. of, and it wouldn't. And you're right, Penny would pitch him that it wouldn't necessarily be this long road. It'd be, it'd be pretty easy. I think. Yeah, it might it might be pretty easy if things work out the way you would lay it out. It, it, it could be Mike Miller. As a head coach, 
at high D1 schools after one year just because he was was recruiting the guys he was recruiting. Exactly. You know, he hadn't even gotten Jalen Green and people were saying, yo, this guy Mike Miller is the best recruiter in college basketball. Like, And one last thing on Miller before we get out of here is we keep talking about him wanting to be, you know, have some kind of role in the NBA. But had we considered that that role is player? Because did you see the video of him flaming some dude on the Memphis roster? I don't know who that was. Well, you did a couple of videos. Yeah, the Keaton Davenport one. That was funny, yeah. Yo, he was giving Keevan Davenport buckets at 40 years old. Yeah. (laughs) And, well, first of all, it didn't, honestly, it didn't surprise me. Because I think people, what people don't realize is how great NBA players are. And I say are, and I don't mean were, with Mike Miller. Because even when you're that old, a lot of times you don't retire because you, you can't play. It's just your body can't can't do the things it, it yeah, needs especially to do in, his, in his case yeah on a yeah and he dealt with a lot of injuries um on a night-to-night basis that's necessary to play at that level but these guys are so good that yes even mike miller after like 15 back surgeries and 10 15 years in the league can absolutely flame an 18 year old d1 player in the prime of his life <laughs> like did you see that video that video was nuts yeah, him, Lester Quinones, he's going at Damian Ball. I mean, all these guys are getting catching the smoke from Mike Miller. You know, and I mean, Mike, I mean, Mike, maybe he's talking about like lacing them up again. Yeah, we don't, we don't know for sure. Fighting Disney World. Yeah, he, yeah, he may say, "Yo, I got, I got, I got property in Florida. They know, they know me. <laughs> they know me in Orlando. I'm very familiar with Orlando. Exactly. Uh, maybe he wants to pull up. Do you have any? Do you have any? Uh, any guys in your mind that you think could be interesting transitions uh, for Penny Hardaway that you should maybe that he if we're talking NBA figures, um, that, you know, NBA figures, coaching, you know, because it could be a former coach too. Remember, yeah, Sam Mitchell on the staff, right? Before, and that didn't yeah, out. I thought about that as well. You know, I mean, I thought I mean David Fisdale, you know, he coached in Memphis, but I don't think he's trying to be an assistant for Penny Hardaway personally. But, yeah, Fizda, uh, yeah, he ain't. That's a pay cut for him. <laughs> yeah, he ain't doing that. Um, I yeah, yeah. It's, the NBA, the NBA, NBA coaches are hard. I think it would be more likely to be a guy who hasn't coached in a while, like Sam Mitchell, hasn't coached in the NBA in a long time. Right. Um, Lionel Hollins. Lionel Hollins ain't leaving Los Angeles to go back to Memphis. And I know he. I know he. I know he loves the city. I don't want to dis. I'm not trying to dis Memphis at all. If there's anybody who would consider it, it may be Lionel. But he, even he's not making that call. Not even the, Lake, the Lakers and everything they got. No, he's not. He's not leaving Los Angeles. Yeah. Um. For for Memphis. Yeah. It's hard for me to. I mean, you, I'm all on the spot a little bit. It's hard for me to really think of one guy that comes out to that that really comes I, to mind. It's got to be a guy that has cachet. I think. You know, I know Nick Van Exel. Played with Kobe, and that that certainly will have a factor with recruits. But I just don't know if any eighteen-year-old kid is gonna know who Nick Van Exel is, unless they play two K. And even then, that's a deep Zay, cut. You think Zach Randolph wants to coach? Zach Randolph would be interesting. You know, I I mean, Cause I, I feel him, I could see I could see him I could see him taking that kind of role. He 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 cares a lot about the youth. He cares a lot about the next generation. From everything I've heard from him, yeah, 
And I know he was helping, helping Penny recruit James Wiseman. Right. Uh, yeah. So, and you know, Memphis legend, absolutely. Yeah. One like you know, first ballot Memphis Hall of Famer type guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like so, I mean, he's a guy that kind of comes to mind in that role. You know, I think a lot of people respect him. A lot of people know him. And I think as a recruit, I, I think he would be an unbelievable recruiter, in my opinion. Just yeah, his personality, the way he, the way, the way he kind of knows, he knows what these kids are going through and kind of what the experiences and things like that, especially these young black kids. Um, I, if I had to pick a guy, I mean, Z-Bow's the guy, the, the, the guy I'm stuck on right now and say that maybe I give him a call. Wow. Yeah, that, that that would also be fascinating. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think look, if I'm a if I'm a candidate for this job, I, I don't I don't look at it that much worse than I did a couple of years ago. I know and beyond the NTA stuff, the NTA stuff certainly was not there before; it is there now. So you got to kind of monitor how that situation will go. But look, they got screwed over by the by the Wiseman thing, and I think had that not happened, we're talking about a program that ends up with. You know, a top, you know, 25 wins probably last season and an easy NCAA tournament rebirth. And then a team that now, you know, probably has uh, Jalen Green, you know, and is probably winning 20 games again. So it's, I mean, they kind of got screwed over, but there's always going to be recruits considering them. They're already trying to get Chet Holmgren, they're trying to get Mikey Williams, trying to get, you know, a lot of five star guys going forward. So, um, it doesn't seem like Penny Hardaway is stopping uh, his momentum or plans on changing up his strategy anytime soon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but I think that's going to be a good place to wrap the show uh, this week, guys, or this today. Um, so thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Uncommitted a Recruiting Podcast here on New Generation Media YouTube channel and on New Generation Podcast Network uh, on you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can also check us out on social media. You can find me, uh, EJ underscore Stewart, on Twitter and Action EJ on uh, Instagram. You can find our channel on social media. We're uh, at New Generation Pod on Twitter. We're uh, New Generation Podcast on Instagram. And on Facebook, we're New Generation Media. Um, and then if you like this video, make sure you, 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 you like this video. Make sure you subscribe to this channel. Um, and check out the rest of our stuff on YouTube. So, uh, so for our YouTube watchers, I really appreciate you guys, appreciate you guys for sticking out with us for this uh, episode two of the Uncommitted. Also, obviously, for our podcast listeners, thank you guys for listening in. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.